We're grateful for each of you who come to share with us this morning on this Lord's Day and on this Communion Sunday, amen, where we take our sacraments, amen, of God to be mindful of what God's great sacrifice for us, for us on Calvary, and we're thankful to God for that. This morning, we're going quickly to the word of the Lord. If you will follow us to Jeremiah, and we'll be looking at chapter 29, and we'll begin our reading at verse number 10. Again, that's Jeremiah chapter 29, and we'll begin our reading around verse 10. We started last week a, a series talking about being disconnected, and we were focusing on being disconnected. When we talked about disconnected, it can be in relationships. It can be in our relationship with each other. It can be in our relationship with God. And today we want to talk about it relative even to our purpose. How often we can feel disconnected from God's plan. We can feel disconnected from his purpose. And we want to use the children of Israel as part of our example in terms of how they may have felt disconnected from God and how Jeremiah the prophet through his word was trying to reconnect them to what God's intention and what his purpose and what his plan was for their lives. So here we pick it up in Jeremiah chapter 29 and we'll look at verse 10. And the word of the Lord says, for thus says the Lord, and this is the English Standard Version. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Can we pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, open our hearts and our minds and our spirits for these few destiny moments. Lord, let us be perceptive to you constructing a change in our life and, Lord, even altering our path. Lord, let's be receptive to this moment and, Lord, not allow it to pass us by as you are literally crafting our future and our purpose for us and restoring and reminding to us the hope that you have given to us even when you first proclaimed what shall be and who we shall be in our lives. Lord, allow this word to direct us and lead us and do not allow us to leave this moment unchanged. In Jesus' name, amen, and God bless you. Again, we're talking from the series Disconnected, and I want to talk to you relative to God's plan and purpose for your life. What to do when you feel separated from God's plan. Now, this particular scripture is very popular, and, and we use it often, but I want to contextualize this scripture on this morning. I want to give it a little background so we have better understanding for what the prophet was speaking. We're talking about Jeremiah 29, but I need us to step back into Jeremiah 28. If you read Jeremiah 28 around the same place where we're reading, you'll find that there is a prophet called Hananiah, and he was a false prophet. Hananiah was telling the people of Israel that the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians would be broken in two years. 
And he was saying and speaking as if that was the word of the Lord. But Jeremiah is rebuking him there in 28 and also in chapter 29, telling him that those are not the word of, that's not the word of the Lord. Because the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and told him that instead of the two years that the false prophet Hananiah was saying that the yoke of, of Babylonia would be on Israel, he said it would be there for another 70 years. And then when he reminds him of that, I want you to understand that this word in this particular scripture that we talk about, that we repeat, that some of it is your favorite scripture. We have it on on, on napkins. We have it posted on our walls in our homes. I want you to understand something. This word came to the people of Israel from Jeremiah while they were in captivity. I want you to understand the context of this word. It came to the children of Israel by a letter from Jeremiah, who was in Jerusalem. And he sent the letter to the elders of those who were in captivity there in Babylon. So they received this letter from the prophet reminding them that they are going to remain in captivity. And he's sending in an encouraging word while they yet are held captive. And that spoke to me. And the reason it spoke to me is because I see this as a time for many of us where we can identify with being in captivity. We feel held captive by a global pandemic. We feel like we're held captive by the persistent and pervasiveness of racism. We are held captive by political upheaval and insurrections in our own country in places where we thought would never happen. We feel held captive by quarantine. We feel that we're captive by disease and the the spread of the virus. In many ways, we can identify with Israel feeling that we are being held captive, almost as if we're exiled into another land that we do not expect or in a land that we certainly do not recognize. Can you imagine how this world has changed so much in just 16 to 18 months? Just think how differently we looked at the world in February of 2020 as opposed to how we look at it now here in September of 2021. Our whole perspective has changed and and maybe even how we feel about our life has changed a little bit. I definitely say that we feel restrictive. We feel shackled. We feel constrained. We may feel as if we are in captivity. But what Jeremiah spoke to him, and understand again, Jeremiah is writing a letter. Now, Jeremiah is in Israel. He's in Jerusalem. He's not with those who are being held captive in Babylon, but but don't get confused. He's still in a desolate place, in a land with many restrictions, and he does not have access to a lot of resources. His resources are very limited in Jerusalem. Because what Babylon did, what Nebuchadnezzar did is he came and he took all of the good men, the scientists, those who were intelligent, those who he felt could work there in Babylon for their kingdom. And he took them and took them in captivity there in Babylon. So he has stripped them of their resources. He has stripped them of those in the know. He has stripped them of their scientists and those who are of great intelligence and great knowledge and taken them to Babylon and just left a few there in Israel. So even though those in, 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 who are in Babylon are in captivity, those who are in Israel and, and still in Jerusalem feel desolate. They feel that they are restricted. They do not have access to resources. They do not have the ability to control their own destiny or their own lives. 
Because even though they're not exiles, they're still under the control of the king of Babylon. I want to paint this picture for you because I want you to understand the full landscape of this scripture that we, we, we boast about and talk about. The, the God, he knows the plans that he has for us to bring us a future and a hope. But when he spoke these words unto the ears of the people of Israel, they weren't living their best life. Everything around them was not okay. They, 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 did not, they did not feel abundance in the land. They did not feel like they were still living in that land that was flowing with milk and honey that had been promised to Moses, that had been captured and, and put into action by Joshua. They now felt desolate in their own land, so they were exiled into the land of another. And you know what God said to them? He spoke to the prophet Jeremiah. And I, I want to speak this to someone who feels desolate, who feels isolated, who feels exiled, who feels like you're waiting on something better to happen in your life, who feels like you're not living your best life right now. God told Jeremiah to write this letter to the people who were in exile, to the people who were in, in captivity. And he wanted them to hear these words. And the words I want to share with you, not only what we spoke of in our text in verse 10, but I want to, I want to go a little further up. Because further up in, in, the, in the letter that Jeremiah wrote to the children of Israel, he's telling them and instructing them that where you are right now, I want you to live your best life. Where you are right now, I want you to live with expectation. Where you are right now, even in exile and in captivity. He tells them, don't wait to live, but I want you to live right now. What he says to them in, in, in around verse 4 of Jeremiah 29, he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give them daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare, get this, of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Now, I want, I want to stop there and put a, I want to put a marker there and, and speak on that. He's telling them to pray for the welfare of the city where they're being held as captives. I, I, I'm trying to wrap my mind around this, Lord. You now these the, Babylon, they're, they're our they're our captors. They're the ones who stripped us from our land, and, and, and they are holding us here as exiles, as captives in their own land. And you're telling me to pray for the welfare of the city. And I want to say that to somebody who, right now, is feeling like you're captive. In a place where you don't belong. I, I want to speak to minorities who feel like you're captive in a country that does not represent you. You feel captive in a country that does not always speak for your good. A captive in a country that you feel like does not always have your best interests at heart in a place that you do not feel was crafted for you, that, that, that the founding fathers didn't think of you when they constructed the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, that, that they, they, they weren't speaking about you when they gave out property and when they gave out rights. They weren't, they weren't thinking about you when they formulated the bills of rights and the, that all men are created equal. They were thinking of everybody else but you. And sometimes in a moment, 
when confronted with racism and con- confronted with disproportionality and, and, and confronted with, with, with violence towards brown and black people, you can feel captive in the place where you are. Let me speak to you for a moment. God told them while they were being held captive to pray for the city. And I came to tell somebody who feels disenfranchised and disillusioned about this country that you still need to pray for America. You still need to pray for the United States. You need to pray for where we live right now. And why? Well, let me not say, well, let me tell you what the word says. He says, I have sent you an exile and pray to the, to the Lord on its behalf and for its welfare. You will find your welfare. You will find your welfare. What he's saying is that while you're praying for where you are, I'm going to bless you. So while you're praying for America and while you're praying for the United States, God said, I'm going to bless you. Because as I pour the blessings into the place that you're praying for, I'm going to make sure that the blessings reach your house. I wish... You were right here with me. That I'm going to make sure that the blessings arrive at your destination. I'm going to make sure that you are, are, are the beneficiary of the thing that you prayed for. While I'm blessing the city, I'm going to make sure the blessings arrive at your house. And I came to tell somebody today you feel captive, but don't stop cursing other people. Stop hating other people. Stop spending your energy on people who don't treat you right, but keep on praying for the city. And while you're praying for the city and you're praying for the state and you're praying for the country, God said, I'm going to make sure that the blessings arrive at your house. Why? Because I already have a plan. I have a plan. And he's saying when you pray, your prayer is not an indication that you trust the country. Your prayer is an indication that you trust me. I'm not telling you to to trust the congressman. I'm not telling you to trust Washington. I'm not telling you to trust the president. God said, I'm telling you to trust me. Can you trust me? Can Can you trust me when things are going bad? Because you don't have to demonstrate your trust when everything is going right. The time when you really have to demonstrate your trust in God is when everything seems to be going wrong. When everything seems to be working against you, when it seems like everything that you have planned has failed, God said, that's when you really demonstrate your faith and trust in me. Can you show me that you trust me? Because it's interesting that Jeremiah, when he wrote this letter, and I want you to get this, he wrote this letter saying that God, God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of good and not evil to bring you a future and a hope. Jeremiah did not write the letter to the people who were still in Israel. I want you to get that for a moment. He didn't write it to the people who were still in Israel because I told you a remnant had been left behind in Jerusalem. There were people who were not taken into captivity. He did not write the letter for them. He wrote the letter for the people who were actually taken captive into another land. And I came to say that and I want to speak it into somebody's life because when you're in captivity, sometimes you need to hear something that people who aren't don't need to hear. Sometimes God needs to speak more when you're feeling hurt 
than when you feel like you're okay. I'm talking to somebody this morning. Uh, God feels like it's necessary to say more words to remind you of his promise when you feel like you're by yourself. So if God is speaking more while while I'm in captivity, if God is sending me messages when I feel like I'm by myself, the only reason the messages are are, are not reaching me is because I have closed my ears to the voice of God. And you know what? That, that lets me know that whatever I'm going through right now was just a plan of the devil. He's put me in a place where I'm shutting my ears to what God's trying to say to me in this moment. And maybe, and just maybe, that was his plan all along. Uh, he didn't care anything about my car being repossessed. He didn't care anything about my credit not being approved. He didn't really care anything about me losing my job. He he didn't care about my children not talking to me. He didn't care about my friends forsaking me and not taking my calls. He didn't care about the health situation I'm going through right now. But what he really cared about was me closing my ears to the voice of God, who's yet speaking to me in the middle of my wilderness who's yet speaking to me in the middle of my trial, who's yet speaking even more boisterously in the middle of my storm. Maybe he's trying to reach me at a very key moment in my life and I've allowed my circumstances to cause me to shut my ears to the voice of God. And maybe, and just maybe, that's all the devil wanted. Doesn't care how many cars you have if you're not listening. Doesn't care how many houses you have if you're not listening to God. Doesn't care how high or how low your credit rating is if you're not listening to God. Doesn't care if you're in poor health or great health if you're not listening to God. So all the devil has to do is get you to a place where you close your ears to what God is trying to say to you in important moments of your life. See, the devil, he is more keen on distracting you when you're in a crossroads that can lead you further into God's purpose. He doesn't have to distract you, get this, if you're going the wrong way. Why does the devil need to distract people who are going the wrong way? And some of you right now, you're jealous of people and you're like, their path is smooth. They're not encountering any trouble. They're not encountering any struggle. The devil doesn't have to stop people who are going the wrong way. Why does he need to put up a roadblock? To someone who's traveling in the wrong direction. Why does he need to stop somebody who's already on the path that he desires for them to be? He has to spend his energy on people who are trying to get closer and closer to God. Don't have to roadblock roadblock people who are going west when they need to go east. He needs to stop you when you're getting closer and more intimate in your relationship with God. And that's all the devil desires. I tell you, the devil's job is simpler than we think. All the devil has to do is distract you so you move from the spot where God wants you to be. If God wants me here, all the devil has to do is move me off my spot, cause me to be out of position. And you know what this letter from Jeremiah was? And and, and I want you to get this because some of you are feeling and are connecting with the people who are in exile, who feel like you're not in your right place with God. You're not in tune with God's plan. Jeremiah's letter was a reminder to the people who were in exile that first of all, 
God says, I know where you are. I know where you are. And I want to speak that to someone right now who feels like you're desolate and you're by yourself. God says, I know where you are. The second thing that he says and makes clear in this letter, he said, I knew you were going to be there. By saying I knew you were going to be there, he's saying your place in that point in time right now is part of my purpose. It's part of my purpose. It's not by accident. It's not unintentional. God knew you were going to be let go before you got let go. God knew you were going to be fired before you got fired. God, God knew that relationship was not going to work out before you broke up, before you divorced. God, God knew you were going to have that problem connecting in that relationship with the child before the blow up, before the big argument, before you stopped talking to each other. God knew where you would be in your health situation before you got the diagnosis. God knew where you'd be in your emotional health before you began to recognize yourself that you're not where you need to be in your mind. God knew all of these things prior to you experiencing them. And he's saying to the children of Israel, his, his letter to them in captivity is that I know where you are. I knew that you would be there. And, and number three, and if this don't bless you, I don't know what to say to you. God's saying, I'm still with you. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still with you. Don't, don't, don't allow what the devil is, is whispering in your ear to distract you from the fact that I, I'm still with you. Because you're going to be okay as long as I am still with you. Still with you. One of my favorite pictures that my mom shows me, praise God for mom being with us this morning. One of the favorite pictures that my mom shows to me of me and my father we're in a swimming pool, I believe. We're probably in Atlanta when Dad was in seminary there at Mason Theological Seminary. And we're in a swimming pool, and I'm on Dad's shoulders, and I'm smiling, and I'm happy. And I'm in the end of the pool because they don't make pools like they did, used to. They used to make pools that had deep ends. Now, almost all pools, you about three feet. That's all you're going to get. There used to be a deep end of the pool where it was eight, nine feet. It was deep. And I was so young. I was small. I, I couldn't have been more than th three or four years old. And, and, and I'm sitting on my dad's shoulders. And I'm happy. And I'm okay. Because a couple of things were happening at that moment. First of all, I'm too young to appreciate the danger that I could potentially be in. And I'm saying that to somebody because while you're praising God for what you know he's protected you from, there's greater dangers that you don't see that God is protecting you from. And I need you to spend a little time appreciating and praising God for, for him protecting you from the dangers that you don't even see. Thank God for protecting me because when I was too stupid to know. Too dumb to appreciate or understand the danger and the liability that I had placed myself in. But Lord, thank you for your protection even when I didn't see it and when I did not understand it. Lord, thank you for protecting me. But even though I was unable to appreciate the danger that I was potentially in, I felt comforted by the fact that my dad was right there with me. He was undergirding me. He was protecting me. 
And even though I did not have the skill, the knowledge, the swimming skills to hold myself up, he was holding me up. And God is saying to you right now, because some of you think you're in peril, but you don't appreciate the depth of your peril. And he's saying, even when you don't see how much worse it could be, I'm still holding you up. I'm still undergirding you. I'm still protecting you from that which you don't have the understanding to appreciate. God's saying, I'm still with you. Fourth thing that he's conveying in this letter is that, and I I need you to get this too, this is not your final destination. You will not always be here. Won't always be here. That's something that keeps me going in the morning when I get up and and I look at where I I am and I, I still am reminded of where God said I'm going to be, that I'm not always going to be here. God has something prepared and a, and a place that is prepared for me. And that's not always me leaving the city, but I, I'm talking about in my circumstances. I won't always be here because you can be in the same place and your circumstances can change. Uh, you don't believe it. Remember the children of Israel when they went up to the city that I call I, and, and I think that's how you pronounce it, but we often call it Ai. God, they, they, had, they had had a victorious victory there at Jericho, but then they sent a few men up to Ai. And when they went up there, those few men at Ai defeated them and beat them back all the way down into the valley where they had defeated Jericho. And then while they were there, God reminded Joshua, he said, now I had told you to respect the accursed thing, to make sure that you took nothing out of Jericho that belonged to me. After a while, God reminded him that it was Achan and showed him that it was Achan who had taken a thing that didn't belong to him. So what did then God say to him? Now, after he said, after you've corrected this wrong, he said, I want you to go back up to I. I want you to go back to the place where you just lost and you were defeated. And I came to tell somebody right now, you can be in the same place and have a totally different experience because when God says go, I wish... Yahweh, when, when, when God says go, when God directs you your steps and, and, and orders your way, he told them to go back to the place where they had lost and experienced defeat. And they won. Why? Because God sent them. Oh, you need another example? Let me take you to the New Testament with Peter. Jesus sees Peter, the professional fisherman, out there on the boat, and he's coming back, and he's beginning to wash his nets. And, 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 and Jesus says to him, he, he says to him, I said, I need you to go back and throw the nets on the other side. Now, see, some of us, if we were Peter, we would have said, now, hold on, Jesus. There are two people standing here and one of us is a professional fisherman. And the other one is a carpenter's apprentice. I, I think I know what I'm talking about. See, we laugh, but some of us do the same thing with Jesus. We just don't say it. Sometimes we like, God's, God's wanting you to pray. God's wanting you to read his word. But by you ignoring him, you're basically saying, God, don't worry about it. I got this. And that's how Peter could have reacted in that moment. But instead, he said, Lord, he told him his circumstances, but he was still obedient. God don't mind you complaining as long as you're obedient. Oh, you can go ahead and complain, but still be obedient. He said, Lord, I went out to the spot where you told me to go. And he said, and we told all night and we took nothing. He said, but Lord, yet at thy word, I'll go back to the same sea, 
back to the same spot where I caught nothing. He goes out there and casts the, the, the net on the other side, and he, and he gets catches so many fish that he can't hardly get them in the boat, and the boat begins to sink. So then he said one of my favorite, favorite concepts, my, one of my first thoughts that when, when reading this text, he said, I don't have enough boats. I wish somebody would just get it. Don't, don't, don't just look at it literally in what I'm telling you. I need you to accept that and receive that into your own spirit, into your own life. I, 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 I toiled all night throughout the net and caught nothing, but yet at God's word, I'm in the same spot, in the same boat, with the same net, in the same sea. And I'm pulling in so much, many fish that I can't contain them in here. So he yells to the side, I need more boats. And I'm declaring to somebody's life right now. <laughs> I'm declaring that your testimony is going to be that you went to a place that seemed desolate where you didn't have enough, where you didn't have enough resources. But God's going to send you so much stuff. You're going to have to yell to the shore, somebody send me more boats. And then even when they had uh, all the boats that were with their fleet, they were still about to sink. And Peter, one of the more amazing words that I hear in the, in the word. Peter, the fisherman, had to tell the other fishermen to stop fishing. If we keep fishing, we're all going to sink. We're all going to go under. We, God has provided more than we're even able to hold. God has provided more than we're able to contain. And I'm praying that into somebody's life right now that's looking around and seeing emptiness, who, who's toiled all night and taken nothing, who doesn't see anything on the horizon that God is speaking to you in this moment, in that same place, in that same job, in that same situation, in that same city, that at my word, I'm telling you to go again. And when you go again, you're going to take more than you're able to contain. Now to him that is able to bless us exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think that's the kind of God that we serve so what Jeremiah was saying to the people he's saying that even though you're in exile and you're no longer in Israel I want to remind you that that God sees you God knew that you would be there God's saying that I'm with you and the same God that brought you out of Egypt is the same God that will bring you out of battle. The same God that defeated Pharaoh is the same God that can defeat Nebuchadnezzar. The same God that brought you abundance in the wilderness. The same God that rained down manna from heaven. The same God that sent you quail in the middle of the desert. The same God that allowed water to pour through the rock. The same God that divided the Red Sea. The same God that allowed you to walk over Jordan on dry land. It's the same God that will take you out of this. Somebody say the same God. He's the same God. And he's saying to them, and I'm close. He's saying, I, I know what I have prepared for you. And I'm saying that to you today in captivity, in your wilderness, 
in your desolate place. God says, I know what I have prepared for you. I know what I'm thinking about for you. And I, love, and I trust the thoughts of God because God is the same God that when he thinks something and when he speaks it, it happens. Oh, it's not a process for God. It's a process for us. Uh, and I need you to get that. The process is on our end. It's not on God's end. God allows us to go through a process so that we have the faith and the capacity to accept that which he is able to do just by speaking the word. God said, let there be light. He didn't flip on a switch. His word manifested that which he spoke. God spoke the earth into existence. And just like he does that then, he can do that for us right now. The process is not on his end. The process is for us to be ready to accept what God is already willing to do. So I speak to you today the same words that he spoke to the children of Israel. He said, drive your stakes deep. Enlarge the place of your tent. I want you to engage in the process to prepare to receive that which I have already said is already yours. Somebody say, it's already mine. Say it again like you mean it. It's already mine. Stand to your feet and give God some praise and say, it's already mine. It belongs to me. Belongs to me. God has spoken and God has declared it and I'm just receiving and accepting that which God has already declared for me. God told the children of Israel, he said, I'm bringing you to a place, to a place where when you speak it, I want you to understand I'm listening, I'm receptive to what you have to say. I want you, I I challenge you to read the rest of that in Jeremiah. I know you're familiar with 29 and 11, but keep on reading the rest of the chapter. The promises that God made to the children of Israel. And God, just at his word, in 70 years, he brought them back from that place of captivity. He restored them to the house of Israel. He restored them to their own land. Because God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. But everything that God has declared, it shall be done. And we just have to receive that which God has already spoken. Put your hands together and give God some praise for his word. Give God praise for his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning for your word that came to touch our hearts, to remind us of where we are, but Lord, help hopefully to push us to the place that you desire us to be. Lord, if we're even in a desolate place on this morning, we find us in a place of our own, our own version of captivity. Lord, let us be reminded that when we follow your way, when we walk in your path, we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord, for them who are the called according to your purpose. Let us remind that you're here and you're undergirding us. You're protecting us, Lord, from dangers that we don't even see. And for that, Lord, we give you the glory. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. And we accept what you have already spoken over our lives and will not be deterred by the words of the devil. We claim all these things in thy son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, put those hands together again and give God some praise. Come on and give him some praise. Amen.
For those of you who have been watching us virtually, we praise God for you. We pray that God's blessings and that his hope and his expectation will remain with you until we shall see you again. I hope and pray that each of you were touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by Giveify. Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the two line. And in the four line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple, Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.